Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello, lovely Jen. Hello, lovely Jen. How are you? I am busy, but wonderful to see your face as always. How are you? Um, it is so good to see you, and thank you again for rescheduling. Yesterday I had an unexpected five-year-old birthday party to attend, which was <laughs> a lot more small children around me than I have had in a long time, because I have upper primary-aged kids, and these were all kindergartners. They were so little. Pretty intense. Yeah, there was a jumping castle, and there was a piñata, and there was the game where you ate snakes off of a string, like the jelly snakes. Mm. You like, yeah. who wins, <laughs> who eats the first? And of course, my almost 12-year-old daughter totally smoked that game. She was amazing. <laughs> I'm like, it's not fair. You're taller and bigger than everyone else. And she's like, I won. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good weekend. And thank you again for rescheduling. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's it. all good. Good on her for sticking to her guns. I mean, those are the rules of the game and she just played the game. <laughs> it's no age grace. It's fine. That's true. To be fair, at the end, she went and held, after she finished her little jelly snake, she went and held like a toddler up for a minute so that he could have a really good go. And I was like, that's so lovely. And she was like, my arms really hurt. <laughs> Okay. The thought that counts. <laughs> Adorable. What um, sparked joy for you this week? Oh, well, I texted you pictures of this because I thought it was hilarious. But uh, my husband's friend Matt has a really old game called War of the Ring. And it is a mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings game from the old days. Like, the old days. Because Matt's older than us and this is from his childhood. So, sorry, Matt, if you're listening. You're not really that old. He came over and another friend Pete came over and they all just hung out and played this game for a while. And it was the first time we'd had people over for a long time. Mm. Um, so I like cleaned my whole living room to make it nice. And I was like sweeping and mopping and thinking about how nice it was. And it was just really fun. And also like I loved hearing them argue about random things. And mm -hmm. I got quite a compliment that I actually knew who any of these people were, quote, characters from Lord of the Rings. So um, thank you for that, because I was able to be like, <laughs> oh, yes. Eowyn, yes, I know who that is. <laughs> Me, I'm so good, clever stuff. And I'm like, that's no, just because I've seen the movies and my best friend is totally into it. So that's okay. good work absorbing my nonsense. <laughs> I appreciate that. Get dragged into the fandom. How about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Uh, well, I had some friends over today for lunch. Mm. And so it's the first time they've seen my new house. And it was just really lovely to catch up with them. I haven't properly caught up with them probably since like November last year. So yeah, just having time to just get all the goss and they've had some pretty intense things happen in their lives. So just being able to unpack that with them was pretty good and it was just lovely. It was a lovely afternoon and then we had carrot cake. So what could go wrong? Carrot makes an amazing cake. Oh, so yum. And that cream cheese ice cream, like every time. So good. So my mom has an amazing recipe for chocolate peanut butter cream cheese icing, mm. which is like one of the things that when I make it for people they're like I need this recipe because it's so good <laughs> so if anybody's interested in that just hit us up and I will email it to you because wow I bet it's incredible like if only I liked peanut butter but I'm sure for people who do they'll be all over that that sounds incredible yeah mm. it's pretty good I'm sure you could make it with just chocolate and cream cheese I'm sure that would just be like a chocolate <laughs> cheesecake wouldn't it mm. yum richness so yum 
Well, this week we're reading chapters 41 through 46 through the theme of nature. Mm. Uh, Jen, do you have a story for us about nature? Ooh. Yeah, so nature is an interesting one, right? Because you can take it one way. You can be like, is it the nature versus nurture thing? Like, is it in his nature or is it in mm. their nature or is it in some creature's nature? But then I decided to be very literal and just think about nature as like the environment, right? So mm. I am incredibly privileged that I grew up in Africa. So therefore, my family holidays often included going on safari in winter. We went used to go to the Kruger National Park every June, July, sometimes in December as well. But it's very hot and you have to take malaria tablets, which my mum does not like. So we tended to avoid going in the summer. We usually just went in the winter. It's also better game watching in the winter because it's not quite as vegetated. It's not as dense. So you're more likely to see like lions or whatever if it's not as, yeah, not as vegetation heavy. We used to do this every yeah and if you know me you'll know that i am extremely online i am a social media manager by nature by trade rather not by nature lols but i am a very connected person and so i've always been really obsessed with being connected like i get stressed if my phone doesn't have a signal i don't like being outside Mm. of range i'm not someone who wants to go hiking overnight i don't like straying too far from indoor plumbing like all these things (laughs) that i don't enjoy doing But the one exclusion that I will make to this rule is to go on safari. There is something so incredible about doing this, like, and something so visceral that just appeals to me on so many levels that I just think about my childhood and I can even just talking about it now, I can smell it. It's like the smell of the savannah Mm. just is a thing that I cannot describe and it stays with you forever. So this is a, a cornerstone of my childhood and I wouldn't mind, like even when I was older, the times that I've gone back to South Africa, we always try and make time to go on safari. It's probably the only thing that I miss about living there. And I don't mind that I feel a little bit less connected, that I don't have reception. I don't even want to check my phone. I don't want to check my email. It's the only place in the world where I feel like that, where I feel like I can genuinely disconnect from what's mm. going on on the outside. And I was talking to my mum about this recently because I obviously haven't been back to South Africa in about 10 years. And... Um, they, my parents have gone back more recently and my mum was saying how it's not the same anymore. So we were talking about the Kruger National Park and she was like, it's just not the same because the rest camps have become so touristy, right? It's almost like Disneyland-ified, if you would. Oh. It's like, you know, there are chain stores in them, like Starbucks equivalents and all these things. Where in the past, there was nothing. Like there was literally nothing. You would go to these rest camps, there might be like a dairy equivalent, like a corner store. But there was only one camp that was like the big camp where you could do your big shopping. But the others, you were kind of like, you know, you were in the wilderness. Like, that was the point of it. Yeah. And I found it so interesting talking to my mum about this because she said she wouldn't bother going back. And this is a thing that, you know, is part of my childhood, but it's also part of her childhood. And like going back generations Mm -hmm. through her family, this is a thing that they've always done. It's like in her blood, right? So for her to say that she wouldn't go back because she feels like it's become too commercialized, I guess. It's interesting because, like, even though the camp is commercialized, technically, technically, the nature's still there, right? The animals are mm. still there. The the wild wilderness of it, I guess, is still there. But you've just introduced more people into the equation, which ruins the serenity of it, I guess, or the, the feeling that you're mm. doing something that's, like, uniquely yours or exclusive. Because there were loads of places you could go where you just wouldn't run into another person. And I just thought it was really an interesting conversation to have with her to talk about this thing that meant so much to her and to all of us. 
and to be able to draw the line about what is it about that part of life that appeals to you? Is it the the isolation? Is it do you just want to see animals and you don't care how you see them? But that's mm. not really it. It's like a whole package, right? It's this like idea of seeing nature undisturbed. And if you watch that David Attenborough documentary, Our Planet or whatever it's called, yeah, where he talks about he even in his lifetime doing the job that he's done, how much nature has been lost over that yeah. time and how it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and how much we've you know we've explored so much and you think that back when he was younger there was so much we didn't know about our planet and now we've lost so much of mm. it and we take nature for granted you expect it to always be there right like I grew up with this kind of wildlife I expect to be able to go to Africa and see an elephant and see a rhino but there's no guarantee that that would happen like they're endangered animals and there might come a time mm. in like five ten years where they're all gone and this is something that I've just assumed will be there because to me that's what nature is right and so I think what I this wrong rambling story what I want to take away from that is like don't assume that someone else is protecting the stuff that isn't important to you if you really care about something then you need to fight for it in whatever way you can if possible but you can't just sit back and expect someone else will do that work for you i knew you'd been on safaris but i hadn't realized it was like your um like your childhood thing that your family did my family did bushwalks like we did hiking like pacific northwest hiking so similar thing and even now sometimes i get a whiff of like what crushed pine needles smell like underfoot and it just whips me right back to like 1989 you know (laughs) following behind my dad begging for a shoulder ride because I really did not want to walk all the way up the hill and then all the way back fair down, enough you know there is something really powerful about nature and um also I love that finally I am not the one bringing up David Attenborough <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good documentary though I've always trying to get my parents to watch that one where I'm like no you need to watch this one where he talks about his life doing this job because mm. it's just incredible how much we've lost in such a short amount of time <laughs> The whole world is amazing. The world is amazing. Get out and see it. Ah. And protect it. Just like stop messing things up. (laughs) Stop cutting down trees. Oh my gosh. Honestly. I feel like I've my entire life we've been having this conversation about the Amazon and I'm like, and still we do nothing about it. I don't understand. I am thirty six this year. This has been going on for thirty six years. It's worse and better in some ways. I think we're looking at what we've lost, but there's also a lot that we're gaining. So that machine they made to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it's actually working. Like, they're cleaning Mm. up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is something I was having genuine anxiety attacks about a decade ago. But people are trying to make it better, and I think just not to ignore what's happening, but to focus on the good that we're doing is an important part of that. Like, it's easy to be sucked into the bad feelings and the bad news, but, like, there are people out there who are really passionate about dismantling the exploitation of our natural spaces. And I love that. And I think that's where that's where I want to focus my energy. Like, how can I help those people with their causes rather than just wallowing in the despair of losing it? Yeah, very worthwhile. <laughs> it's the only thing we can do is help out how we can. Uh, should I do chapter summaries? Yes, please. All right. So we start out the chapter, or the section with Simon and Baz sharing several lovely tender moments in the back of a ute that's speeding down a desert road. Um Then they pause to camp. Meanwhile, Agatha realizes that now next is just a fancy vampire nest. She's even less impressed (laughs) and now actually kind of mad. And, you know, they're keeping her drugged and they're stealing her DNA, which is categorically bad. Once our friends get to Vegas, 
our intrepid heroes and their cheerful guide check into a vampire hotel and go out and find some vampires to learn more about now next. Baz meets a handsome undead fellow named Lamb, who treats him and tests him and threatens him, then agrees to talk to him the next day. Simon, from a distance, thinks it looks like a date. It's not a good feeling. Baz, drunk and hungry, eats a couple dozen birds in the bathroom. Shep is literally loving every second of this adventure. <laughs> Shep! Shep! Shep taking notes and then saying to Penny, what? It's not your secrets. Which, fair. It's fair. I'm here for it. Okay, nature straight out of the gate. Let's just talk about Penny summoning all these birds from their little cage. (laughs) And then being like, do they... She's also like, do they paint them black? Like, no, we have black cockatoos in Australia. So, no, they don't paint them black. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, not the gang gangs. They're endangered. (laughs) Baz, don't eat those ones. You can have the minor birds. They're not yeah. endangered. There's so Please many of them. Take them. They're mines. black. Introduce have them. species. They harass every living creature. I've seen them Aww. trying to take down a magpie, and I'm like, leave the magpies alone. My fat, like my dad and I, actually rescued one when I was really little, and we like nursed it back to life. But it became very demanding, <laughs> like very demanding. <laughs> We're like, okay, you can go now. Yes, goodbye. And it was Thank fine. You. It just took off. But yeah, oh, yeah. it's too funny. Yeah. The native, the introduced miners are not great birds, so yeah, they can have all of those. But um, I thought that that was a really interesting um, subversion of nature because Penny's had this traumatic experience with birds and she wants to, you know, like she's trying to solve a problem and she's like, right, I'm terrified of birds, but I'm going to summon them so Baz can eat and then I'm just going to hide under the duvet, which is like peak perfect behavior that's exactly what i would mm-hmm. do like all right i've done the thing and now i'm going to retreat where i can be completely protected so funny how you that. can do something even when you don't want to when it's a thing that scares you just because you have to right you're mm. like ah, oh, i don't want to but i'm just gonna do it and then i'm gonna yell and run in circles and go ew, 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 ew. But, yeah <laughs> yes me every time someone's bleeding i'm like well this is terrible but someone has to fix it oh uh, I like how you pointed out in your story that nature is like two things. Like, is it our nature or is it like nature as in the environment? And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. of course, started to think about like, how do I look at these two different lenses? How do I look at our text with these two different lenses? And I came up with like the idea of Simon getting back to nature or where he can be in his more natural state is a theme that like runs through this text. And at one point, you know, he's laying there and pointing up at the sky like Baz look and Baz is like I've seen stars before (laughs) like okay but like he's showing you something that's special to him and it's in nature and it's like this is the thing that's really impressing Simon on this trip is all of the nature around them Um, I like that yeah and I think that's a really important thing to note especially when at the very beginning of this section Baz is like you should fly more and he's like oh yeah where would I fly like Piccadilly Circus up Regent Street like he's commenting on the fact that he can't really be do the things he wants to do because the nature around him doesn't allow for it Mm. which i thought was something to watch out for is that simon is more happy in himself he's more steady when he has the space to like roam and be and exist so he needs more like of a natural setting i would say um and then i think the other thing that i really sort of picked up was well there are two other things i really picked up on um but the first of those two was that Baz doesn't really understand his own nature as a vampire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Agreed. Yeah, right? So this is something that he's, like, trying to suss out in this conversation he's having with Lamb. Like, wait, you can stop when you're drinking a person? Yeah. Like, this is a possibility? And, like, how old are you? And when? Did-? Like, he doesn't and know even, anything. Yeah. 
and even with the whole like oh do you just stop when you're drinking something and it's like oh so are you just turning people all the mm. time he doesn't even know how that works right he's just like oh but you get bitten but if you don't die then i guess you become a vampire he doesn't have any factual basis for that that's just an assumption that he's made he doesn't understand his own nature and he won't allow himself really to explore that like up until now right because he talks about how his family can't even look that fact yeah they're in all the in denial about it and mm. you know the reason is because he can't reconcile the two parts of him he can't really reconcile the vampire and the mage yeah i mean he's he's constantly going the dragon was right vampires mustn't learn to speak no one should be allowed to do both but he is the one exception right just the all the self-loathing yet again right from bears being like no one should be allowed to be both because he actually believes that about himself too yeah but there's also like that strong correlation between vampire fiction and as an allegory for queerness right yeah and i thought that was really it felt really layered to me in this when lamb was talking about vegas right he's like this whole city just for us you know we there's a lot of stuff i don't know about you but not this like you know this this is not a secret yeah. between us and that reminded me of like obviously it's world pride month like yeah pride parades are the same thing people are always like why are people sat over the top during pride because this is the one time when you can be unequivocally yeah. unapologetically who you want to be and it's okay and it's safe and that's yeah. what Vegas is for these vampires as well. It's just like a place where they can be, they don't have to hide. Um, also, just on that point where you were like talking about Simon and like pointing at the stars and stuff, I thought that was a really clear example of nature as a point of connection, as something that unites yeah. us all. Because often yes. when you're far away from someone, you're like, oh, well, that whole thing, like you're looking up at the same stars, you know, that whole, <laughs> it's such yeah. a cliche, but it's true. Except if they're in the Northern Hemisphere. In that case, it's not true. It's a major plot point in the Emily of New Moon trilogy in the third book, actually, that they both look at Vega of the Liar. Um, and that is like a big thing between two characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it also reminded me of a poem that I didn't write out, but if you bear with me, I can look it up. Okay. Can I, do you want me to talk about the Agatha, the bit, the bit yeah, about Agatha and where I found nature there? Yeah. My section, I titled it Getting One Over on Nature, the Braden Edition. So he is constantly referring to her as like something you would find in a natural history museum. Like, Agatha, you're a perfect specimen. And then he says, it must be a mutation. We've ruled out anything else talking about the ability to speak magic. And, you know, he's trying to get her to talk to him about magic. But she's like, she's honestly not picking it up until he's really explicit about it. At one point he says, you can talk to me, Agatha. Somehow he was still smiling. Mm. We're both part of humanity's next stage. <laughs> And, you know, and then he says, we're the next stage of human life. And he's baring his fangs. And she's like, oh, the penny has just dropped. It is actually a vampire that I am talking to. And he wants magic. Yeesh. And like, I would like to go now, please. But she can't. Like, he has locked her in the room and he has drugged her. And she can't open her mouth. And it is scary. And I really want her to just be okay. Yeah, I mean, I really... It's so hard, right? Because she talks about how there's ways to deal with this and she goes through them like first is mm. denial and then there's this and then it's escape and then it's like anger yeah the fight you know at the end but she doesn't really have she doesn't have a wand and she doesn't have any other recourse at one point she's like i could make a little fire but like it wouldn't do anything and i'm like oh no you don't know yet that he's a vampire that would actually be super effective <laughs> if you made a little fire and he has yeah. no idea does he does he know that he's flammable does he have any clue Probably not, because he doesn't understand his nature either, right? No, he's looking at it from a completely different perspective that it is, um, like, some, like mortality is something to be conquered. 
Mm. And and the acquisition of magic is something that you can put together like a puzzle piece. You know, you can sequence it like a gene. But I don't think that that is the case. I don't know what it is, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I kind of wonder what it is, if it's the environment you're in or the the people who make you or I mean there's no there's no real clear magic or you know nature versus nurture canonically except we know that you know Simon thinks he's a normal because he doesn't think he comes from magical people I've just read Vicious by V.E. Schwab and it's about like making sort of talking about extraordinaries or basically superheroes and how they come into being and this like the protagonist gets involved in like trying to make someone and a superhero and like this whole nature versus nurture thing and how do you get there and how does it happen and it was it's really interesting I really enjoyed it Mm. um but yeah it's kind of like what Brayden is trying to do it's like how do I make a magician like how do I make a mage how do I make them what are the ideal conditions to put them under do I need to put them under stress do I what you know he doesn't know yeah, he's following a scientific method for us, an extremely non-scientific event. It, it's just very much like Frankenstein, right? Like, this, mm. is, this is Victor Frankenstein's problem. He wants to create the perfect being. He wants to create, you know, something that is outside of, I don't know, what what is natural. And yeah. is that, like, that's the core of what Now Next is doing, is they're trying to create something rather than allowing something to become. It's a bit interesting. Yeah. It is interesting, definitely. Um, Baz and Simon. Oh my gosh, that whole... I just, I think I listened to it three times this morning while I was just doing little tidying tasks because it was so nice and so lovely and so sad. What really stood out to me is just, yet again, you know, they're just at cross purposes. Like they're just talking in ways Mm. that the other can't really understand. But it really just jumped out at me when Simon says on page 221, can I, I say pressing in. I'm not sure he'll hear me over everything. And then Baz in his section on the next page you know, it says, you don't have to ask. I say it loud enough that he'll hear, he'll hear me over everything. It's like yeah. everything in this is not the sound of the car. It's not just the sound of the wind. It's just this distance between them. The yeah. way that they're reaching and missing. The way that Simon is trying to reach out to him and Baz just thinks it's clumsy. He doesn't read it as like desperation, right? Like the way Simon is pushing mm. into him and just, oh, it's so hard. And like even the way knowing what we know about anyway the wind blows right the way that baz talks about how he's touching simon and how he touches him like he's made of glass and how simon just doesn't know whether he wants to push or pull baz and like the way you touch the person you love Mm. and the way that you want to be touched and often it's about reading those signs with someone else and they've never had the conversation no makes me sad Oh, yeah, me too. It's hard to know until you sit there and go, like, is this okay? And I love that Simon pauses to ask. And I love that Baz is like, yeah, of course. But it doesn't ever feel like that for Simon. I think he's just going to be the kind of person who needs to ask every time for a while. And I think Baz is going to have to be patient and just answer yes every time for a while. Yeah, and I mean, like, Baz, when he says, you know, I go where where he wants, I take what I can get. Mm. And, like you know can you what simon kiss me kill me break my heart Aww. but also when he talks on page two to two when he says i warm into my arms and then he warms me in heads he gives it all back to me and that's how he approaches the relationship he just pours it all in there and he's like eventually yeah. eventually i guess he'll give it back to me but it's just so mm. it's just a horrible situation even when he talks about the kiss you know sometimes simon kisses me like it's the end of the world and i worry that he think he believes it right it is the um, end of the world because he's still he's hopeful now I think but he he doesn't know it's if it's gonna be okay 
and he wants to believe that it will be okay. So he's sort of, this is like his swan song, right? He's like, give us this, please give us this. He's asking for this. And it is almost like this is our last time. And he, he even says like, don't think about it. Mm. Don't think about the last time. Don't think it might be now. Don't think like, ah. And then he talks about, you know, in Vegas, when he talks about Baz's eyes being soft and he's like, it's been soft since the truck basically. And then this is why it's mm-hmm. so horrible that he then sees Baz and Lamb together and he just jumps to this conclusion because he just expects it to be over. Like he just, he doesn't ex- yeah. anticipate that Baz has an explanation for it. He doesn't even ask. He well, just... he heard so much of their conversation and the flirting and he was like really getting worked up about it. I think mm. he's right to be worried and upset because he isn't there. He can't see. And like we already know that he's got trouble reading the room. Um, which is really common for people who've been traumatized. Like, it's really hard to figure out those signals. Like, you don't get the signals. And then if you're not even there to see the facial facial expressions, you have no idea what's going on. You can only take what information you have, and your brain just encodes it in a certain way. So I think that's what's happening with Simon. He's like, right, the worst thing is happening. The world is ending. Clearly, Baz wants someone who's got their act together and who is beautiful mm. and not a hot mess like me. <laughs> so... I felt for Simon so much there because he was like, oh, well, maybe it'll make it easier on Baz to to leave now that he knows I've seen him with someone else. Like, he's just, like, so resigned to it. It's awful. It is awful. I just... I just feel for Baz in that situation as well because Baz has never given Simon any reason to doubt him or doubt the depths of his affection or his love, and yet... Simon doesn't see it and that's a horrible situation to be in where you're like I have given you all that I am and still yeah you know it's yeah it speaks more to the insecurities on one side than it does the actual reason to be worried you know hmm yeah and it's almost like he's been talking himself into like okay he'll move on he's just funny about honor okay there's someone else here now we can now we're seeing that this is truly going to happen but at the same time he's like really devastated and he's trying really hard not to feel it let it touch him like he's hurt he's so hurt but he's he's also resigned to it like oh everyone leaves this is just what happens yeah the way he feels about nature and about like the whole star situation and how he uses that as a way to like connect with bears it just reminds me of a pablo neruda poem that i have found now (laughs) so i can read it if you like. <laughs> yes, please. It's very short. So it just says, And I, infinitesimal being, drunk with the great starry void, likeness, image of mystery, I felt myself a pure part of the abyss. I wheeled with the stars. My heart broke loose on the wind. Oh, that's lovely. I just feel like Simon really feels himself in nature. Like, he just mm. feels better. He feels like he can handle it. He feels like he has an idea of what to do when he doesn't have to think like when he doesn't have to plan when he doesn't have to do anything he can just exist because when you're on a wide open road there is nothing to do you know it's no pressure i get that that's running or like when you're in the middle of a project and all you can do is move forward step by step like that's that's a good feeling to know that you are on a track and doing a thing yeah my worst year of postpartum depression i think i made like 50 plus quilts that year I was just churning them out and part of it was because it was like keeping me from going crazy like it wasn't leaving me alone with my mind it was giving me something to focus on 
And that was really important. Like I needed something that I could do that I felt good at, that I enjoyed. And I had like a tangible reward. And um, I've slowed way down for several reasons. Uh, not least because working from home means I lost my sewing room. But yeah. I just, I think about that. Like Simon doesn't have something that he can do that will give him that freedom and release. Like the only thing we ever see him doing consistently is flying. Like he's flying so much these days and he's loving it. And he's so much better and more centered in himself. And like, that's what gets the fluff out of his brain and he needs to do it more. And I love that Baz kind of tweaks to it, but it still hasn't, like, it's not something they've had a, a discussion about and like, okay, so this is helping your mental health to fly. So you need mm. to do this more. Um, and he, you know, in the, in the third book, we see that he almost actually goes ahead and gets his wings taken out and that, you yeah. know, that would have left him in a really bad place, but you know, it doesn't happen for various reasons, which is good, I think, but also, you know. He has such an interesting relationship with his wings, right? Like he, Mm. in one hand, he associates it with his trauma and the fact that he's different, right? Like if he can just get rid of the wings, then he can just move on with his life as a normal, as he sees it, even though he's not a normal, but never mind. Um, But on the other hand, he likes the wings. (laughs) He likes the security and the the option they give them, the fact that he can fly. And like in the third book, he talks about being able to get to Baz if there's an emergency, right? Like having the wings as an option i kind of love that he is beginning to embrace it it i don't want to call it a disability but it it kind of reads like a disability like it limits him in his ability to do things but it also clarifies things which i think one of the upsides to having limited energy is that you're able to like 100 percent narrow down the things that are essential to survival and life Mm -hmm. and you learn to prioritize really quickly what you can and can't do um that's hard it's not like all rose it's not a bed of roses to be mm-hmm. disabled in any way but from somebody who's a spoonie i can say that knowing what my limit is helps me to make sure that i'm spending my time more meaningfully and also it helps me to be okay with resting and and those are all upsides but there is when you have certainty about something there's grief on both sides because that certainty means that there's like closure whether you are happy about that or not and I think that this book is kind of in that uncertain space like they're not really grieving the loss of this relationship yet because it's still going on and neither of them want to face the grief of like okay we're over and they also don't want to really face the grief of like okay we're in this but it's going to be hard how do we deal with it and so I'm I'm thinking about how we are working against our nature there just to be comfortable it's rough the whole scene with with Baz at the party trying to listen and be charming and appear like he's natural acting natural you know but just trying to take notes as fast as he can like how old are you how when did you you don't turn everybody like he just doesn't know and not knowing is really this like it's really stressful for him and i think baz is very much someone who prides himself on knowing he always has all the answers you know he's a top Mm. student he knows stuff and he america is really throwing him because he doesn't know so much, right? And including about vampires, but also with the dragon and how he didn't know what kind of creature she was, you know, all these things. Yeah, and mm. how I thought it was interesting how he kept talking about, I've got lots of experience of standing around parties looking bored, you know, like I'm used to being around rich people. Mm-hmm. And he has that really interesting quote, just getting into tangential here, but about they're okay. not necessarily good looking, they're just rich. And I think this is something that we often fail to recognize when we talk about beauty standards and stuff and when we're trying to like 
aspire to look like some sort of supermodel or an actress or something you're like yes I'm gonna be like them but they're incredibly wealthy (laughs) that kind of beauty and whether it's you know it's traditional beauty or not but whatever it doesn't come without money doesn't come without someone cooking Mm. your food it doesn't come with having eight hours a day to train without having the best facials every other day like if you have money looking good is easy Mm. even just getting your clothes tailored like everybody has their clothes tailored when they're a celebrity if they're gonna be papped like your clothes fit you well because you take the time to get like what was that story about jennifer aniston all those years ago and like every her uniform that she wears is like a t-shirt and jeans and she always looks amazing because they fit her properly and that's just tailoring and then it's mm. not something that like the average person can go to any shop and get clothes that fit well neither can she it, it isn't that they're made for her it's that somebody has literally altered them to fit her yeah and you know that's something i think about a lot like oh if you feel schleppy it's it's probably not you actually it's the fact that we're all trying to wear clothes that have been fit to something that doesn't actually fit us personally and bodies are all different and that's fine such an interesting idea but yeah money definitely does buy the illusion of beauty yeah because it gives you time and it gives you care and it helps you to outsource the things that will wear at you yeah and being a vampire also gives you a leg up because you're not gonna get like you know wrinkles or anything like that because you're not aj or sick imagine never having a head cold again like honestly the dream (laughs) <laughs> for real um just to get back to Baz and Simon sorry I just remembered how Simon talks about hanging on Baz's arm you know he says I must look just as desperate as he did when he was hanging on to that vampire right and then mm. Baz is like trying to protect him because he's like oh everyone's gonna see you now and whatever whatever and he says act like you're infatuated by me or whatever the line is and you know Simon says yeah. huh, act someday I'll laugh about this someday maybe I'll laugh about my whole awful life and he goes on to say, he's pretending. I'm looking like I'd follow him anywhere. I'm not. And it's like, Baz is not pretending. He's mm. not pretending. And I just stop doing this. Stop projecting your self-worth issues onto Baz. He's got enough of his own problems. Yeah. I put Ugh. that, this is part of my in-depth because it this, this parallel really just destroyed me. But yeah, yeah. It is very much a, well, he's probably falling out of love with me, but I would still follow him anywhere. Moment. Yeah. It's just like, oh, okay, sweetie. you got to think that for a little while, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> I also thought it was really interesting that he calls him mate when, you know, he's in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, too late for that, mate. Do you know what? that I read that as, like, when my kids are being ratty to me and I'm like in your dreams mate like that's what that's I was like we are past the point where you get to make demands like you have come home drunk and you are eating birds you don't get to Mm. tell me not to watch I am helping you out of your clothes right now you are a mess and I am the one helping you so you can just suck it up buddy (laughs) like literally this that's how I read that as like uh uh no more I was very much like, you tell him, Simon. Let him boss you around. Good grief. You're helping him save his suit. So ungrateful. Is he or is he just looking for an excuse to unbutton Baz's shirt? It's also really hard for Baz to let people take care of him, which is a Mm -hmm. whole thing. And that's Mm -hmm. like, he doesn't want to be seen as being vulnerable. And he doesn't want to, like, 
be seen being a vampire because he hasn't fully reconciled that he is a vampire, even though he talks about how he is a vampire and he's so different all the time. He is not in charge of the narrative here, and that's why he's, like, cross about it, I think. Less cross, I'd say, and more just ashamed, right? Like, it's just the shame of it. Even the fact that, you know, Lamb's gotten him drunk, which I don't think is entirely with consent because he's like, is there alcohol in this milkshake, you know? So he's gotten Mm. drunk, something which he doesn't like doing and doesn't like in people. And then Simon's like, he won't go drinking with me. And it's like, you don't know what's happened here. (laughs) You don't understand. Yeah, yeah. It does feel very much like he's being plied with alcohol. And I think it's really easy maybe to read that as predatory, but I actually thought that was just another way that Lamb was like testing the waters and seeing what Baz or Chaz, as he sees him, as he knows him, was about. Like he was trying to sort of loosen him up so he could get to the crux of why he was there. Because he was really clear after. He was like, that's the first true thing you've told me. Mm-hmm. So he was really clear on letting Baz know that like, I knew you were lying to me. I know that you haven't been truthful. Yeah, so I think that the the whole like plying him with alcohol and taking him out was a bit of a test to see like, is he going to be like the the next blood where they only drink from like sustainably farmed blood bags or whatever, or is he like actually one of us and just genuinely new to town? Yeah, yeah, and they've got reason to be suspicious because there's history, right? And like, yeah, 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 yeah. they're protective of their own community and and rightly so. It's a bit like when the coded term for, like, queer people used to say, like, oh, I'm in the family. Are you in the family? Like, as a, mm. like, there's kinship here. Not, not like, blood kinship, but, like, there's a kinship, a queerness kinship. I think there's a similar thing here where it's, like, you have to prove yourself. You have to, not gatekeeping, but sort of a protective enclosure, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. Apologies if my thoughts are scattered. I'm very um, slow today. No, you're all fine. Um, did you have anything else for nature or expectations? We haven't even talked about expectations, but it's just the usual yeah. expectations, I guess. Like, Simon expects Baz or leave her. <laughs> Absolutely. I, we talked about Baz's identity and his expectations being kind of yeah. blown up with not knowing what to expect by being a vampire. Um, and I think we covered it when we talked about, you know, Simon seeing Baz and Lamb together. He's now expecting the end rather than just sort of thinking it's coming. He's now expecting it as a concrete thing. I did want to point out one of the things I had for tangential was um, that bit that we were just talking about when, when Baz is eating all the birds in the bath. And I just thought it really showed the practicalities of being in a partnership and a relationship with someone. Like you do see people when they're at their grossest and messiest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you may not want to be seen at that point, but like the people who love you are going to stay and see you anyway because they're going to care for you. And that's so annoying and awful and yet also totally great and awesome. Yeah. You have to be vulnerable, right? Like this comes back to vulnerability. You have to be allowed, you have to allow people to see you like that because you can't be wholly yourself if you are going to exclude these messy things. Like the fact that Baz never wants Simon to see him feed is problematic because that is a big part of who he is and it's a big part of his life Mm. and like Simon just loves going hunting with him so much I think he just likes having like Simon just is a social person he wants to be with his pack like he's a pack animal I get it my kids are the same way they want to be in the same room as me or in the room next to me like it, it it just like I completely understand Simon's point of view here. Like if I'm in the kitchen getting something, my kids will wander in playing their devices and just stand near me sometimes. They don't even realize they've gotten up because they want to be near me. And I feel the same way a lot of the time. Sometimes I'll just 
without realizing like follow my husband around from room to room because I'm like oh I haven't seen him all day and he'll be in the kitchen I'll go in the kitchen and then he'll go back to the study and I'm like oh why am I back here oh I just wanted to hang out with my husband <laughs> so I love that Simon is like I'm just I want to be here with you doing all the things I love that it's such a a true and an unconscious way of just being worth being with the person that you love it's really beautiful yeah and Baz is annoyed by it because he's like stop don't look at me He's also just not used to it. Like, he doesn't read it as an sign of love, right? Like, he's never had that experience. It's an egregious invasion of his privacy. Um, I love that Lamb talks about old man Pitch driving them from the country like St. Patrick Mm. with the snakes. And Baz is like, that's my (laughs) (laughs) great-grandfather. He's like, I shouldn't say my name, should I? Oops. (laughs) Cracks me up. It's great. Um, We only got a little bit of Penny and Shep's bickering, but I do love uh, on page 246 when they're listening into the beginning of the conversation and uh, Shepard says, we should have gotten him an invitation or faked one, and Penny rolled her eyes. Next time we infiltrate a vampire enclave, I'll remember that. Shepard frowned. Isn't that exactly what we're planning next? <laughs> I just love their He's bickering so right. So and much. also when when Shep goes, if nothing else, this is a great first date and Penny just kicks him. Yeah, ouch. But also, it is a great first date. Can you imagine going out with someone who takes you to, like, burgers and milkshakes and then gives you, like, a local history tour? Man, that is an awesome date. I would do that, like, at any point in my life. That is (laughs) the best. Please walk me around and show me the sights. That is my dream. (laughs) Love that. Here for it. Um, I think that was all I had. I mean also all the other feelings that i have about them yeah kissing and cuddling in the back of the the back of the truck which just make me want to cry yeah it's a rough section that and just like so beautifully written you know just the longing Mm. the the depth of emotion like you never doubt that they love each other and it drives me absolutely wild that they doubt that the other loves them like when you see it from both their point of views there's never any doubt how much they care about each other it's just yeah it's hard. It is. It's hard. They're they're like missing each other. They're in parallel tracks, you know? They're just not connecting. All right. Well, I think that was all I had. Did you have mm-hmm. an in-depth? I did have an in-depth, and it's actually from Agatha's section. Ooh. I just need to find it. Stand by. Um, lol at Charles Watford, by the way. <laughs> okay, yeah. So my in-depth marginalia is on page 227 as when Agatha is having her conversation, well, her memory of her conversation with Brayden. And he is trying to coerce her, the truth out of her, basically being like, Mm. you can talk to me, you can talk to me. And then there's that bit where she says he very nearly raised his voice. Um, I thought we could do this together. I thought you'd want to do this together. You came here of your own volition. You want to level up. You want more from life. No, I don't. I just want, I was just being a good friend. Mm. So I think this talks about nature to our theme of nature because it's in Agatha's nature to conform. I think she is a conforming person. She is, well, not necessarily conforming, but she wants to take the path of least resistance and she actually just Mm. wants to go with the flow. She doesn't want to stand out. She doesn't want to beat her own drum or carve her own path and that's perfectly okay she just wants to hang with her friends and go with the flow right like that's what she wants to do that's her nature she's a docile creature that's fine um and also expectations because she just thought there's expectations from Brayden right because it's like everyone is at this posh retreat 
for a reason. She's here for a reason. So I expect her to be into this. I expect her to want to be excited by this thing that I'm offering her. And he gets really annoyed by her not taking the bait and acting like she doesn't know what he's talking about. And he gets really worked up to the point where he's nearly raising his voice. So you get a real undercurrent of viciousness, which we then see play out when he like bears his fangs at her, right? Yeah. Next page over. So I think this reminded me of all the times in my life I have done things because I just want to be a good friend, but less that and more about other people weaponizing that against you. So I think there is a definite yeah. tendency for people to be like, I will do this thing. And you think that you're all fine and on equal terms. And then later on, it becomes a thing of, well, I've done all these things for you. Why mm. won't you do this thing for me? And it's this interesting balance of power that someone can hold because yes it's hurtful if you're always putting yourself out there and no one ever reciprocates and you feel like you're always the one putting yeah. yourself out there but on the other hand you can't put yourself out there and just expect people understand that it's a transactionary thing like you know that there's going to yeah. be a you're going to call you're going to cash that check one day and be like well i did this thing for you so therefore you have to do this thing for me I just think you need to be upfront about that. If it's something you really don't want to do, like I do things for my mates all the time that I don't want to do, but it's actually not, it's not that big a deal. Like I'm not keeping score in my head being like, I've been to six football games. Like I'm going to one day turn this <laughs> against you, you know, I'll just go and complain when I'm there, you know, that's fine. Like that is yeah. the, that's the bargain you enter with me. I will come, but I'm going to complain the whole time. Like Elaine from Seinfeld. <laughs> I think what I was going to say to this is just going forward, just set clear boundaries and clear expectations of what you want from mm. people. You can't just expect that they're reading your mind. If you're doing something, mm. you're like, yeah, I'll go see this horrible horror movie that I don't want to see with you, but then I want you to come see X movie with me. Just be clear about it because then everyone knows what the rules of engagement are, what the transaction is. And most people will be totally fine with that. I think people resent being held ransom after the fact when they're like, oh, well, yeah. I did that thing with you. You should come do the thing with me. I'm like, well, if I'd known that that was going to be the exchange, I wouldn't have asked you to come do the thing with me because I don't really don't want to go to that. And now you've made me look like a jerk, you know? So just like yeah. be clear on your boundaries, be clear on your expectations. Most people are very reasonable. I know it's a scary thing to do. It's scary to sometimes say I'm drawing a line in the sand, but I think it's worthwhile in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. It's better to be honest up front, I think. Yeah. And communication. We love communication. We're we big do. on that. That's what the book is all about. Communicating. And the lack thereof. Or exactly. I guess the lack therein. <laughs> what was your um, in-depth marginalia? Well, mine was across two different sections because I dived for a parallel. So I have on page 222, which is Baz saying, I go where he wants, I take what I can get. And then on page 252, I have Simon saying, he's eyeing me like I'm his fifth drink. He's pretending. I'm looking like I'd follow him anywhere. I'm not, which you brought up earlier as being mm. a fairly important part. Um, and I just really love this parallel between the two of them because, you know, Baz is like, I'll take whatever I can get in whatever conditions I have to endure just to have this closeness, just to have this, this relationship. And, and, you know, Simon is feeling this loss. And, and this is something he says after he's seen Baz with Lamb and has drawn some incorrect conclusions. Mm. Um, and he's at his most like vulnerable and hurt, but he's admitting to himself, at least like I would, I would follow him anywhere. So there's this expectation between them that the other will leave them or try to leave them. And they're both kind of scrabbling to hold on to each other, I think, but they don't really know how. Um, I, I chose to read these lines through the theme of, like, what we need being natural, you know, like, the mm, things that we need are natural to us. So, yeah, so Simon needs this, like, intense 
pressure touch. He needs to bump into and crash into Baz. Um, and, and Baz needs that reassurance, but they just haven't really gotten that yet. You know, so it's natural for them to want and love each other, but they actually are not able to navigate their relationship very easily. It's really hard to be in a relationship, even if it's really natural to love that person that you're with. So, you know, the easy thing would be to let it slip by, slip away. The harder thing, maybe the unnatural thing, is to, like, work through all of the hard stuff. Mm, yeah. The text that it reminded me of... Um, is the biblical story of Ruth and Naomi. You don't have to take it in a religious way, but I love the story because Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law and she decides to return to Bethlehem, which is where mm -hmm. she's from. And her other daughter-in-law is like, well, I'm going to go back with my family. But Ruth is like, I'm going to stay with you. And she says this really beautiful thing. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And like, this is the whole reason I love this story because you have these people who would, like their connection is otherwise dissolved, but they, on the strength of this affection, Ruth decides to push herself out of her own comfort zone and honor someone that she doesn't have to stay with. Like she stays, even though it's going to be hard, it's going to be uncertain. She chooses this love and she chooses this family again and again. You know, there are certain vulnerabilities in this time with being a widow, but, and she, she's going to a place where she doesn't have any family. Um, she's going to be a stranger to the people there, but she goes anyway, and she's defying those expectations and going against her own nature, maybe, but I love that she chooses that, and it just made me think that these these two boys are going to choose each other over and over again, even if it's strange, even if it's hard. They're going to go to a land where they're not from in order to be with each other. So I guess going forward, I am reminding myself that I need to get into my challenge zone a bit more. It's really easy to be in the comfort zone, mm. but I think getting myself into the challenge zone is a good thing, and I will be working on that however I can make that work. I'm not really sure what that looks like yet, but it's definitely at the forefront of my mind. I love that. It's always important to push ourselves, even though we don't want to. We really don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I know I've spoken to you about how I don't feel like I have a lot of ambition and I'm wondering if that's just a reaction to like years of being a failure at doing things that are like typically considered successful and maybe I have to redefine what that means. Like what does ambition mean for me? Yeah, what's you your know? vision of success, right? Like yeah. what, what does achievement look like to you? What would you classify as a goal? And that is being ambitious, right? Having a goal. Um, is a lot to consider. Yeah. And I don't really know. And I don't know that I will have any concrete answers, but yeah. at least I'm looking at it, you know? We're always learning. We're a work in progress. Exactly. Uh, who would you like to spotlight this week? Spotlighting my boy Baz this week. I just feel like he is really going through it. He, one, doesn't know who he is or how his life works, how his body works. And he's mm. like getting external strangers telling him about it. And he's like, wait, what? This is a thing? This is a thing I can do? Which is very strange and then also just yeah. like he just he can't get he can't reach Simon and it's so hard for him like that whole thing about being in the back of the truck and being like how do I get here again tomorrow you know like how do I get back here yeah. I don't want to do the thing that pushed him away in the first place and it's just the way he's internalized all of this and how it makes him even more reluctant to try and reach out it's just it's so much all of it is so much and I just want to wrap him in a big old hug that he does not want Oh, poor baby. Who are you spotlighting? I'm also spotlighting yeah. Baz for most of the same reasons. I've never really had any identity crises. I sort of, I'm always like, well, I'm Jen, obviously. That's enough. Thank you. Um, but it is really hard when you are not sure about like what the limits of your own 
identity are and, and what that means and what it means to be who you are. And he's just having like all these wobbles and he's really vulnerable and he's really scared and he's meeting with someone who seems to have it all figured out and he's learning so much but he can't seem like he's learning too much and it's just hard it's hard it's hard when you go into a room and you don't know what to expect and it's hard to kind of brave face your way through it yeah so, yeah baz gets the spotlight because little bubby needs it yeah totally did you have any homework for our listeners this week I do. So I read a fantastic book, which is about 20 years old now, called Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich. And I would highly recommend it, especially if you are interested in the rights of workers or you're lobbying to get minimum wage increased or you just want to know what it's like to work three really tricky minimum wage jobs and survive. And like the sad thing is, is this was written. She did this experiment where she worked three for three months as like three different minimum wage positions in 1998 and it still is so relevant and not much has changed like the minimum wage is only barely above what Ugh, it was when she was making sad. that money in 1998 in the u.s so hugely good read um and very quick um and also i read a memoir called what my bones know by stephanie Fu, and it's about a woman who's dealing with complex ptsd and i keep thinking about the way that this is the book she wanted when she got her diagnosis and i really wish i could just like reach through the pages of wayward son and give it to simon snow <laughs> like, like read this book i think you might have this thing please see what stephanie has to say about it because she's written a really incredible book it's a really hard memoir and it has i mean it comes with a whole host of trigger warnings so definitely check that out before you get started reading it if you're worried but amazing book amazing amazing book cool how about you do you have any homework for our listeners this week well i was just gonna originally didn't have any but talking about it during this recording, I'm going to recommend your read Vicious by V.E. Schwab, just because it's quite interesting in how it positions the nature versus nurture debate, but also just what it is that makes us human and what is it that makes you a villain or a hero. You know, I do love her books. I think she writes really interesting characters and this is definitely a return to form. It's a duology, so it's Vicious is the first one and Vengeful is the second. I've not read the second. Currently have it out from the library, so I will get on that report back <laughs> nice that sounds good i'll have to pick it up yeah okay well next week we'll be reading chapters 47 to 53 through the theme of loyalty which we're both great mm. at we're excellent loyal yes. people so i look forward yes. to that <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great and hopefully it'll be a nice calm weekend full of relaxing things no surprise parties surprise <laughs> invitations to parties no headaches excellent, excellent. This, yeah. is, this is the goal <laughs> this is the goal let's stay hydrated out there exactly in our lane hydrated crops watered skin clear flourishing flourishing <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much jen it was great to chat to you i really really love our time together it's always a highlight i love seeing your face mm. <laughs> yours too is the cutest mm, you're the cutest all right well i'll see you next week all right see you later bye, bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. 
Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 